Uh, turn to Proverbs chapter 12 with me today. The 12th chapter of the book of Proverbs. If you are new to the Bible, or if you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and one of our usher, ushers will stick a Bible in your hand, or get one to you in some fashion. Just raise your hand if you need a Bible. If you have one, turn to the 12th chapter of Proverbs, and the 28th verse. Proverbs 12, 28. It says this, In the path of righteousness is life. Everybody say life. life. And in its pathway, there is no, and everybody say, death. In the path of righteousness, there is life. And in its pathway, there is no death. There is a positive and a negative in this verse. The one who walks the path of righteousness, we see what he does have. And we're also told what he does not have. The one who walks in the pathway of righteousness has life. And he does not have death. Let's pray and ask God to help us this morning. Father, we do ask that you come along, help us in this word, that, uh, that the Holy Spirit wakes up our hearts, uh, helps us in our unbelief, increases our faith so that we might understand your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There is no tree that will not fall. The trees on your street will one day fall. The great redwoods of California will one day fall. Death comes to every one of us as the axe comes to the tree. There is no one so great that will not eventually fall. The one thing we all have in common with each other this morning is that in a hundred years, none of us will be here. In a hundred years, unless one of my kids lives to 107, in a hundred years, most likely, none of us will be here. The greats fall. Everyone falls. We will be in the history books. If we make it into the history books, we probably won't. But that's okay. We'll be, have that in common with the millions who have gone before us. But when you read the history books, all of the greats in the history books were one day alive. And they were famous. And they were powerful. And they have all died. Julius Caesar. St. Augustine. King Henry VIII. They have all died. George Washington. Frederick Douglass. They have all passed. Elvis Presley. <laughs> Tupac Shakur. <laughs> They've all died. It doesn't matter how great you are. It doesn't matter how great you think you are. The 
the most famous and the most infamous, the richest and the poorest, we all meet eight feet in the ground. There is no one in this world today, and I'm not going to start naming names because I don't want people to think that I've got it out for some celebrities. But there is no celebrity, no great and powerful person, no one today who will not eventually be humbled by death. Death comes to all. Now, this is our last sermon in the book of Proverbs. Uh, We've been going thematically the second half of this series through the book of Proverbs. And some of the themes that we have preached on today, such as greed, materialism, or abusing words, etc., some of them I have to really work hard to make sure that it applies to everyone or to make sure that at least you know that, that the sermon on pride applies to you. But this sermon on death is sort of a no-brainer for all of us. All right, we're all going to die one day. We're all going to die. Now, on one hand, you've got some people who know that and they are afraid of death. They are scared. The thought of their death is a very fearful thing for them. On the other hand, there are people who it it seems as if they're ignorant to the fact that they're going to die. They sort of believe that they're immortal in some ways. We all believe that at some point we're going to die, right? Nobody believes we're going to die today or tomorrow, but at some point we're going to die. Everybody believes that. Few, however, prepare for death. So we're talking this morning not just about death and not just about the fact that you are going to die, but specifically this morning we're talking about preparing for death, being ready to die. In the book of Proverbs, there have been these two roads, these two pathways, if you would. It is referenced all throughout the book. If you've been here for the last couple months, you've heard this time and time again. There is the way that leads to destruction, and then there is the way that leads to life. Who walks down the road to destruction? It is the fool in Proverbs. The fool is the character that loves that road. The one who walks down the road of life is the wise person. The wise love the pathway that leads to life. There are two pathways in front of you this morning. There are two roads to walk, two ways to live, and two choices that you can make. Wisdom, if we choose to walk the road of wisdom, wisdom is everything that we need to lead us to life, to keep us from sin. Where the law uh, speaks black and white, yes and no, right and wrong, wisdom is sort of this mesh that catches all of the gray, catches all of life that sort of slips through the cracks of the law and and allows us to live a life that keeps us on that straight and narrow and sometimes very difficult road to the cross. Wisdom keeps us from slipping off into the ditch of death. The wise walk the road to life. However, the fool walks the road to destruction. Now, the greatest oversight 
in the fool's life as he walks this road to destruction, his greatest oversight is the fact that he is not preparing for death. The fool doesn't prepare for death. Why? Why? Maybe. On one hand, we know that he, the fool in Proverbs is focused on material things more than he is eternal things. He's focused more on what he can see and touch and feel more than he's focused on material. Turn back to chapter 10, verse 2. It says this, Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit. So the fool builds up uh, through living a life of wickedness on the road to death, many treasures in this world. Treasures, however, gained by the fool do not profit him. The fool, we don't have to rehash materialism today, but the fool is the materialist, focusing on what he can see as opposed to what he cannot see. You know, Americans uh, have $880 billion in credit card debt. That averages out to $15,000 of credit card debt for the average credit card holder in America. If there's ever been a time in history where uh, it is very clear that we are focusing on material things more than eternal things, that time is now. The war on God has always been an emphasis on the material over and against an emphasis on eternal. I think all the way back to the garden, you've got the fruit and the material that is so appealing to what? The eye. And so Adam and Eve take the fruit and enjoy the fruit for the moment. Fast-forwarding through the story of uh, uh, Israel in the wilderness as they demand from God manna, which God has already promised he will give, a focus on material versus a focus on the spiritual. We fast-forward into the story of Israel and we see how they're now worshiping the god Baal, because they believe that Baal will bring rain to their crops, and so they're turning away from God, focusing on these, these Asherah poles and these things that they can see and touch so that they can have what they can see and touch, and that is crops growing in their fields. We always, as fools, lean toward focusing on material things more than we do eternal realities. God has promised that he will take care of your basic needs. This means food, water, shelter. God has promised, generally speaking, that he will take care of you, that he will take care of your basic needs, which means this, that God will keep you in this planet and on this planet as long as he wants you here. And then when it's time to come home, he's going to bring you home. Now, let me ask you this question. Outside of your basic needs, what material things do you want? And how are you trying to find in these material things what you ought to find in God? Everybody think about it. What is the material thing that you want right now? 
And how are you trying to find what you can only find in God in that material thing? Well, this is what I'm talking about. This is the problem of materialism. Focusing on material more than eternal. Focusing on this temporal world more than the eternal world as we prepare for Christmas. And as we buy Christmas gifts for children in your life, whether they're your own or, or uh, uh, nieces and nephews or friends, how are we communicating or what are we communicating through what we buy and how much we buy about the temporal reality of the world that we live in? Are we lifting up the material a little too much in our lives? The fool focuses on the material rather than the eternal, so therefore the fool does not prepare for death. Secondly, the fool also uh, enjoys sin more than the fool hates sin. He enjoys sin more than he hates sin. Look a few verses down at verse 16 in chapter 10. It says this. It says, The wage or the payment of the righteous leads to life, but the gain of the wicked is sin. Meaning as the wicked or as the fool walks down this road of destruction, what does he get? Well, what he gets is sin. And I don't know if you have noticed as I have that sin is actually quite enjoyable. Right? I mean, in the moment, for a season, sin is actually extremely enjoyable. Well, why? And what is sin? Sin is trying to find a joy and satisfaction in anything else other than God. The kind of satisfaction and hope and joy that we find in God and His good gifts and stewarding all that He's given us well Taking that and trying to find that in something else is the root of sin. And the fool enjoys sin more than he hates it because in the moment, sin is enjoyable. Karl Marx has this famous phrase, religion is the opium of the people. What he means by that is is, uh, uh, if you can give the people religion, then you can... Uh, abuse them and have great injustice in the land and they will, they'll, they'll be numb to it because they have religion. Probably true to some degree. I would, I would though suggest this. In addition, sin is the opium of the people. I mean, what really numbs us to injustice? What really numbs us to problems? What really numbs us to the things that should alarm us? It's, it's, it's our heroin. It's the, the op- our opium. It's sin. Sin gives us this sort of temporal change of mind so that we can all of a sudden now enjoy this life in a way that we otherwise wouldn't be able to in that moment. Do you hate sin? Well, let's be honest. There are some sins we hate. Injustice or murder or if somebody steals something from you. But be honest, there are some sins that you love. Your pet sins that help you. The opium that you use to sort of tweak your mind for just a moment, to change the reality for just a moment so that you can enjoy this life. Finding satisfaction then outside of God. Focusing again on material things what we can get out of the material as opposed to what we can get out of the eternal. R.C. Sproul says, 
that sin is cosmic treason. What he means by that is sin is not just breaking a rule, but sin is cosmic treason in that you are seeking in something what you ought to seek in God. Making something else your God. It is cosmic treason. So the fool enjoys sin more than he hates it, whereas the wise longs for that day when he is not only freed from the power of sin, but also freed from the very presence of sin. But you can see that the fool then doesn't prepare for death for these reasons, because the fool is in the here and now. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, he who does not prepare for death is more than an ordinary fool. He is a madman. So how do we prepare for death? What does that look like? Let me just give you two things to grab onto this morning from Proverbs that can help you prepare for death. Number one, be aware of your own mortality. Be aware of your mortality. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. What does that mean? It means this. First, know that you are going to die. Be aware of that. Remind yourself regularly of the fact that you are going to die. As your pastor, I want to give you an exhortation this morning. About once a month, drive down North Avenue, park at Greenmount Cemetery, walk through the cemetery, or a cemetery of your choice. Look at the tombstones, look at the numbers on either side of the dash, and and look at that dash and be reminded that that was a life right there. All right, that was a life lived of hopes and dreams and aspirations, very similar to yours probably. That was a life there of lived of worries and anxieties and wondering if this is going to... Probably very similar to your worries and anxieties. And then look at that, that number just to the right of the dash and be reminded that all of that little life came to an end And here they lie, largely forgotten by history. And that, too, will be us in this world. Be reminded regularly of your mortality. Some are reminded of that, but they're sort of wrongly focused on their mortality. Let me give you an example. I I say some, it might be all of us. Here's a wrong way to focus on it. Um, Quote, I'm getting older and I haven't yet done fill in the blank. All right? I'm getting older and I haven't bought a house yet. I thought by this time in my life I I would own a house. Or I'm getting older and I'm not married yet. Or I haven't had kids yet. I'm getting older and for me I I haven't had a boxing career yet. All right? That's been something. Why do you laugh? Something that uh, I've had an aspiration toward. However, I'm past my prime now, and the, my current rate of bulking up is uh, not looking great for my boxing career. Getting older and 
fill in the blank. Well, what's the problem with that focus on mortality? Here's the problem. Number one, looking at life that way and looking at mortality that way forgets that there is no joy in this world that we will miss, okay? No joy that is missed that will not be fully realized in eternity. What I mean by that is the joy that you would get from, let's say, buying a house or finishing school or the joy that you would get from getting married or the joy that you would get from having kids or having a boxing career and winning a match, the joy that you would receive from these things are mere tastes of the kind of joy that you will have for all of eternity. There is nothing that you will miss here that will not be satisfied and realized there. Secondly, the problem with that kind of thinking is that in a strange way, we're still not preparing for death in that we are assuming that we're going to live a full life. We're assuming that we're going to live old. And we're forgetting about the reality that we could actually die in five minutes or in one minute that God could remove from you your life in this instant. So now let's talk about preparing for death. Preparing for death is to be fully aware of your mortality, that this life is fleeting. This is why we sing songs often, not just that are peppy and happy, but often we sing songs of lament. Just this morning we sang songs with these lyrics in them. Through dar- though darkness fills the night, though troubles linger. We sang these lyrics. When I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death. Now why do you want to come to church and sing about death? <laughs> why do we want to get up, get out of bed, and go to church and sing songs about taking our last breath? Why? Well, here's why. It's because Christians are the most realistic people in the whole world. We're not playing games. We come and we're reminded. We're reminded of reality. We're reminded of our mortality. That this life is temporary. That this life is fleeting. This isn't depressing to us. This is just reality. So, first, know that you're going to, going to die. Secondly, don't be surprised by death. A lot of times the world is surprised by death. Someone is suffering or someone dies and it's sort of like everybody's, we, we just, our jaws drop and our eyes get big and we're just surprised like, I, I didn't see this coming. And then what we do is in our surprise or this is what society does is society turns against God and says, well, therefore God can't be loving because this just happened. Because this person just died. And then we sort of get our way through that and we're happy and we're believing in a loving God again and then somebody else dies and we're surprised by it and we go through the cycle all over again. And we say, well, God can't be loving. There can't be a good God with this kind of suffering. And it's this endless cycle that, that we repeat. Why? It's because we are surprised by death. Let me tell you a story. In, uh, on, on, on February 12th, 1554, there was a young girl, 16 years old, named Lady Jane Grey, who was locked away in a London tower. 
She had served nine days as Queen of England, and then she was dethroned by her, her cousin, Bloody Mary, because Jane was a Protestant Christian. And so Bloody Mary removed Jane from the throne. This young, at the time 15-year-old, locked her away. She turned 16 in the tower. She didn't, I mean, she was an innocent girl. She was put there by her cousin. She didn't ask for this, and here she is locked away. On February the 12th, 1554, the door opens to the tower and the executioner enters into the room where she has been locked away. And on this wintry day, she writes this, If justice be done with my body, my soul will find mercy before God. Death will give pain to my body for its sins, but my soul will be justified before God. God will show me favor. She was asked whether or not she would want to be burned or her head chopped off, and so she asked for a beheading. And just before she was beheaded, she has this thought and writes these words, my body is going to get what my body deserves because of sin. Now think about this. Wrap your mind around this. A young 16-year-old girl who has done nothing to quote-unquote deserve what she's about to get. All right, this is a great injustice committed by Bloody Mary. And here she writes, my body is about to get what my body deserves. But my soul is justified before God. What does she mean by that? Well, this is what she knows. What she knows is this. Your body is under the curse of sin. While your soul has been made right with God. Wrap your mind around this. Because often this is what we think. We think God saves me. And then therefore, uh, my body is also saved. And so I shouldn't have suffering that comes to my body. I shouldn't have problems that come to my body. I shouldn't have death that comes to my body. And nobody that I love should have either of any of these things either. We have this sort of over-realized eschatology, if you would, that God has saved my soul and therefore he has also saved my body. That's not what Jane believed. Jane understood this, that her soul has been saved, but her body is about to receive what her body deserves because her body has committed sins. Are you tracking with me here? So therefore, friends, we should never be surprised by suffering or death because our bodies are under the curse of sin. Now, being aware of our mortality, if that's all there is to it, will leave us with horror and fear and sadly awaiting our own death. But there is more to preparing for death in that. So let's continue. Secondly, to prepare for death, hear and believe the message of God's 
redemption. Go to chapter 13, verse 14. It says this. Look at this word. The teaching. Everybody say teaching. Thank you, Tony. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that no one may turn away from the that one may turn away from the snares of death. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. How do we find life? How do we prepare for death? Here we see it is in the teaching or the message that is to be delivered. Salvation comes to Christians through a message, not through a to-do list. Somebody asked me one time, why is it that Christians don't have a certain dress code? Like, if we had a certain dress code and some way to identify ourselves, maybe more people would want to be a Christian. That was his thought, not mine. And then he goes on. He points out that all these other religions have cool dress codes. All right, so the Buddhist monks, they wear these cool orange robes. Muslims, they, they grow these cool beards, all right? And the women just cover up. Uh, let's see. Jews, they wear these cool tzitzi, kind of these tassels hanging down from their hips. The black Israelites downtown, the guys you see preaching down there, they look like ninjas. <laughs> they have the greatest religion, religious uniform. <laughs> I mean, if we did have one, that would be it. All right, we just dress like ninjas. I love it. Why don't we have, well, here's why. It's because, um, it's because Christians have been entrusted with a message. We're, we don't have a dress code that brings us to redemption. We don't have food laws that bring us to redemption. We don't have all of these ceremonies to bring us to redemption. We have a message when we gather on Sunday, we're not performing sacrifices and doing weird things. We're just reminding ourselves week after week after week of the message that prepares us for death. We have a message. Look throughout the scriptures. This is the story of the Bible. It's a message that is being delivered. God tells Noah, I will never again destroy humanity in this way. He gives him a message of hope. God comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to bless your family and you're going to have this, this, this land and, and you're, you're just to believe it. I'm going to do this. And God comes to Moses and speaks to the people of Israel and he says, I'm a covenant-making God. Have faith in me and be obedient to the covenant. God comes to David and he says, I'm going to give you a throne that lasts forever. Just believe it. And then God comes to us through Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, repent and believe. Believe. Believe in me, Jesus said. We're given a message. Our salvation comes, our preparation comes through the message. Let me read these verses to you. Chapter 15, verse 10 and 11. Don't worry about turning there. Whoever hates reproof will die. Chapter 29, verse 1. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Meaning if we are not willing to listen to this message, we are not willing to be corrected, to be reproved, to have our understanding of the world reshaped and radically changed by the gospel. If we're not willing to 
receive this message and believe this message, then we will not have life, but we will die. So what is the message? What is the message? Well, let me give it to you, and we're going to close with this. I'm just going to give you the message. Here is the message. Go to chapter 10, verse 2. It says, Righteousness delivers from death. Chapter 10, verse 16. The wage of righteousness leads to life. Chapter 12, verse 28. The path of righteousness is life. Number one, for the sake of your life, trust in the righteousness of Christ. For the sake of your life, trust in the righteousness of Christ. Now, you might say, why do you say of Christ? Why not say, for the sake of life, trust in your righteousness? For the sake of your life, trust in your own righteousness. Why of Christ? Well, look at the language in these verses. Chapter 10, verse 2 says, righteousness delivers from death. Verse 16, righteousness leads to life. Verse 12, 28, the path of the righteous is life. Here's the problem. I'm reading that, and I'm not seeing me there. We get this from the Scriptures, and if this is all we have, this is very bad news for all of us. Why? Well, here's why. It's because when Adam sinned against God, sin entered the world, and God had said to Adam, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. And so all who then are born under The curse of Adam are born under the curse of Adam. (laughs) They're going to die. And so then God gives the moral law. He makes it very clear. Follow these commandments and you will live. Follow these commandments. The righteous, the one who is perfect in in every way, who follows every one of my commandments will live. But we see in Isaiah, let me just read this to you, chapter 48, verse 18, it says, oh, God is speaking to Israel. He says, oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. If you had only paid attention to my commandments, you would have peace and righteousness, but you have not. Friends, how many of you have paid attention to every single one of God's commandments. Has there been, as you consider your life, any commandment that you have ignored? Has there been one, maybe? Two? As you think about this morning, trying to get out the door, yelling at somebody, have there been any commandments that you have ignored? You see, the problem is this. We are not righteous in and of ourselves. So how might we have life? This is why I add of Christ to my point right there. For the sake of your life, trust in the righteousness of Christ. Well, how does the righteousness of Christ help us? Come back next week, and that's all we're going to talk about next week. But just to give you a brief answer right now, Romans chapter 3, verse 22 says this. It says that the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. The righteousness of God in Christ, all right? So God, man, in the flesh, perfectly obedient before God in every way, the one man who 
had on his mind every single commandment of God, never forgot or ignored any commandment, lived an entirely righteous life before God, the one man who broke the curse, the one man who is now able to resurrect from the dead and have life given back to him, check this out, is a righteousness that is given to us. Everybody say the word imputed. 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 Imputed is a word that means basically donated or on your... The the righteousness of Christ is donated to you. So as Jesus hangs on the cross, he forgives your sins, gives you a blank slate, but you still need righteousness. His own righteousness then is imputed or donated into your account so you can now stand before God. So you can now have life. The righteousness of Christ then is your life. Julius Caesar died. Abraham Lincoln died. Elvis and Tupac, they died. Jesus lives. Jesus is the one man who rose from the dead. And in Colossians, Jesus is called the firstborn of the dead. What does that mean? It means that all who trust in Christ have the promise not only of being freed from the power of sin now, but one day rising from the dead with Christ. The firstborn, the first one of all that he represents to be raised to life everlasting. And that leads us to the second point in this message. Trust in Christ for your righteousness. And the righteousness of Christ leads you to eternal life. Chapter 12, verse 28. It says, In the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. There is no death. Life. Your body, listen, remains under the curse. Your body is under the curse of sin and death, but your soul has been justified before God and granted immortality, and your soul will be immediately upon your death with God in heaven where it will await the resurrection at which point God will reconnect your soul with a new body that is fit for eternal life. That's good news. The righteousness of Christ then leads you to eternal life. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10 says this, Jesus Christ abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You know, our world, our society around us uh, idolizes youth. We spend millions of dollars every year in, in, in youthifying products and Botox and whatever. We idolize youth. Why? Our society, if, if, if our society were to read Proverbs chapter 16, verse 31, they would laugh. It says this, gray hair is a crown of glory. Gray hair is a good thing. Gained for righteousness. 
Our society looks at that and says, that doesn't make any sense because we idolize youth. We lift up the young. If you don't make it by the time you're three, you're not going to make it these days. All right? We idolize youth. Why? It's because our society also doesn't understand Psalm chapter 116, verse 15, which says, precious in the sight of God is the death of the saints. Mm. Precious in the sight of God is the death of his children. What does that mean? (laughs) Well, it doesn't mean that God likes to kill us. But what it does mean is this. What seems to us to be final, to be the end, is for God a precious moment of bringing his child home. If you are in Christ, friends, you have a deliverer. If you are in Christ, you, the, the, uh, death has lost its sting. And there is no reason to fear. Martin Luther King Jr., just before his own murder, uttered these chilling words. He said, I'm not worried about a thing. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Friends, have your eyes seen His glory? Have your eyes beheld the wonder of the sun and you've been so caught up with who He is and His his wonder and His holiness and His love and His mercy that you have lost the fear of any man. You've lost the fear of death. Do you have a deliverer? Have you looked and have you found Christ to be your Savior? Have you cried out to God and said, I need you. Have you read these passages that say righteousness will inherit life and you look at your own righteousness and you tremble and you say, God, I can't stand before you without righteousness. What do I do? How can I stand before you? Please grant me something. And then you see Christ. You see the righteousness of Christ that is sufficient for you and that is donated to you. And then you trust and you believe. My grandmother this morning, she keeps up with what I'm preaching on more than absolutely anyone, all right? She should join our church. So she knows I'm preaching on death today, preparing for death. And she emailed me this morning and she said, I'm praying for those who are not ready. I wonder if my grandmother was was praying for you this morning. I'm praying for those who are not ready to die. You will stand before God with nothing in your hands. No righteousness. The works that you have done have not amounted to your salvation. Your sin has condemned you. And if you were to walk out of this building today and die, you are not ready. Friends, don't leave here 
unprepared. The arms of Christ are outstretched right now. He is asking you, come. All who hear His voice, come. All who hear the voice of Christ this morning, come. Say yes, receive the message of Jesus Christ. He has died on the cross for sinners. He loves to save sinners. He loves to give His righteousness to sinners. Will you come this morning and receive and be prepared and be ready? How else can you stand before God? How can you stand before God without the righteousness of Christ? How can you stand before God without the blood of Christ all over your sins? Friends, receive His salvation this morning. We're aware of our mortality. We are hearing and we are believing the message of Christ. Lastly, place your your final hope in the promises of God. Place your final hope. And you don't know when your final hope will come. So place every hope. And then thereby your final hope in the promises of God. You might say, I'm fine with the idea of eternity with Christ. I get that. I know that one day I will be with God in heaven for all of eternity because of Jesus Christ, my Savior. What I'm concerned about is how I'm going to get there. How I'm going to pass from this life into the next. That's my concern. I love Alistair Begg's response to that question. He said this, Imagine someone told you how you were going to come into this world. Imagine someone told you that you're going to spend about nine months inside of another human being and you're going to live in water and that water is going to go in and out of your lungs and it's somehow going to sustain you and you're going to have a tube going into your belly button and that's going to feed you, all right? And this is going to be life. Are you ready? For nine months. And then when it's time to enter into the world, you're going you're to move through a very small, narrow canal And once you squeeze through this canal, your head is going to look like a a cone, all right? It's going to deform your head. And then you're going to be hung upside down and smacked on the butt. And then somebody's going to stick a little rubber thing in your mouth and suck the water out of your lungs so that you can try to breathe. If someone told that to you, you would say, you know, I think I would rather not exist. I think I would rather not enter into this world. That is horrifying. (laughs) Alistair Begg says this. He says, look, if God could get me into this world, I'm going to trust that he can also get me out of this world. I don't know how it's going to happen. But we place our last hope in, in, in God and in his promises. How do we know that when we die, we will be gathered together with God? It's because he has promised that we would. 
How do we know that when we stand before God, our, the righteousness of Christ will be enough for us and be sufficient? It's because God has promised to us that it would be. How do we know that the, the, the blood of Christ forgives our sins and that his forgiveness truly forgives us? It's because God has promised that all who call on, on, upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He has promised to forgive you. How do we know that God will help me through death and into eternal life? It's because he has promised to. Friends, the Christian life is a life of faith, isn't it? It's a life of faith. It's a life of hearing and receiving the message. And then we trust. We trust God. Day by day, minute by minute, we trust God. We lean not on our own understanding, but we cling to his promises. While I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death, when I soar to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you give us the faith that we need to move through this life, minute by minute, hour by hour, day after day, continuing to trust you and all of your promises. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.